Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Each week, we'll feature a top B2B marketing leader and discuss their revenue-generating strategies. You'll get actionable tips and learn how to accelerate growth through seriously smart marketing. Now it's time to have a look at the proof and get to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Welcome to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. We're your hosts, Mike and Gabby, and this is the B2B Marketing Podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. And today we are very glad to have Andrei Zinkovic with us all the way from Croatia. Andrei is, has so many accolades to his name, so I'm going to try to get through all of them. Andre, let me know if I miss anything. Andre is the co-founder of FullFunnel.io, and he's also the co-founder of ROI Plan, which is a marketing SaaS platform that helps marketing teams align with sales and business goals. He's also the author of LinkedIn B2B Marketing Inbound Book, awarded as the best B2B marketing ebook. And he's also the founder of B2B Marketers and Founders Community. So, Andre, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. And one of the things that really stood out to me on your website, and it's really right and cent- fr- front and center for everybody, and you have a very bold claim, is less leads, more revenue. And in the world of marketing and sales, that's that's a very bold claim because... People usually want more leads and more revenue, but you're saying less leads and more revenue. So I know that today we're going to talk about a fascinating case study around uh, an ABM campaign that you put together, which is a hot word out there. Everyone's talking about ABM, so we want to hear about that. But tell us first, quickly, what does less leads and more revenue mean for you? Yes, so thanks a lot, first of all, for this great intro. So let's dive deeply into that positioning. So how I came up with that idea of less leads, more revenue. Uh, You know, lots of B2B companies, they have a growth obsession. It means they tend to think, okay, I need to scale marketing. I need to scale lead generation. I need to scale my sales processes, et cetera. And when they have this growth obsession, they tend to skip the most important, the most fundamental marketing things like setting up go-to-market strategy, you know, defining your ideal customer profile, defining your positioning and unique value proposition and tailor this unique value proposition to a target market. Next, analyzing the buying process, analyzing the decision-making process at your target accounts, analyzing their research process. And in most cases, if we are talking about B2B companies with complex and long sales cycles, this is the vertical in general we are serving. Uh, these companies in most cases operate with unformed demand, which means that their customers are not actively buying these products and they need to generate, they need to create this demand, first of all. And in this particular case, they need to work the full final way. They need to create, they need to generate this demand. They need to generate the awareness. They need to build a credibility and trust. They need to educate and nurture their buyer buyers that's why they need to have some sort of sales enablement programs then they need to have activation playbooks basically how they are going to turn this let's say conversations or 
potential, let's say, warm prospects into sales opportunities. And then they have, let's say, uh, most companies stop at the sales process. So the deal was won, and now they're passing, you know, the leads towards product and maybe client success team, which has a very passive approach. Basically, they're just answering the support, you know, the tickets or maybe live chat, and that's it. But the real truth that this is another funnel. So now you have an existing client and you need to run these in-depth interviews where you exactly can learn more about the buying process, the as well the strategic initiatives of this company, you know, why they bought your product and you need to track the satisfaction so you can find the truth is that if client is not satisfied, they are not eager to recommend your company or your product. And if they are satisfied, then you have an opportunity to expand the business, to upsell new licenses, so upsell to new branches, etc. And this is the this is the like whole thing. This is how the marketing or B2B marketing in general looks like. When it comes to these B2B organizations, they tend to, sing, uh, to skip all of the things and jump to, let's say, lead generation and sales processes because they tend to think it's scalable. You know, you you need just to buy some fancy software like uh, oh, like sales cadence, you know, automation software or marketing automation software, scrape the data, put as much accounts as possible into it and basically spam them all. Let's be honest, it looks like a spam. And they play the game of numbers, you know, because it's transactional. You can just calculate, okay, I like sent 1000 emails, I booked one call, let's say this is a conversion rate, I need to improve it and scale it. And when it comes to, let's say, generating demand, it's not something, it's not like purely transactional. You can you can't see the like exact attribution. And that's the biggest pain point. So in my case, what I'm presenting, I'm saying, like, guys, look, you don't need, you don't want to have more leads. Your goal is to generate more revenue. This is basically what is important to the organization at the end of the day. And Absolutely. in this particular case you need to focus on the companies that have the highest revenue potential and you need to tell you need to find actually a match between your product or your service and their needs or strategic initiatives and in this particular case if you are focusing on tier one or tier two accounts basically the companies with the highest revenue potential or the medium revenue potential it can scale your revenue and let's say help your sales team to overcome, overachieve the uh, target sales quota in a more, let's say it, it will be more effective, more uh, more productive to them than just payment everybody. That's why I mean, in some cases you can close two deals and generate more revenue than, you know, prospecting the entire market with this automated cadences with purely outbound mindset. This is how less leads or more revenue came into the game. I like it. I like it. Thank you. So, I'd love to just jump right in with, with right into the, you know, the case study that you, that you want to mm -hmm. talk about, which is, you know, let, let's start with the beginning. How do you, how do you identify the right, uh, the right targets? And because I know, like you kind of mentioned, you know, a lot for a lot of companies, it's ABM really just means, okay, it's an ABM platform. Let's buy some expensive technology. Let's low, let's, you know, let's get some intent data, this, that, and the other. Next thing you know, they're spending, you know, 10 grand a year or more on, on just their ABM tech stack. Um, but that's not what you're like, what you're talking about is different. So I'd, I'd love to hear some of your take on how do you, not just how do you do ABM on the cheap necessarily, although that's interesting as well, but sort of how do you, 
how do you tackle it without necessarily focusing just on the technology aspect? That's a very good question. And basically, uh, you know, the process will be different for, let's say, startups, the companies that are looking towards product market fit and let's say for mature or established businesses. So let's talk about the second group for established companies. So the way how I'm doing this, first of all, I'm analyzing their use cases, the best case studies. I'm not looking into revenue numbers because they might have like a fantastic customer that you know generated lots of money but basically this customer uh, didn't adapt the product or didn't have a really good use case and maybe they are not satisfied and thinking about churning from them that company so i'm analyzing use cases that's why I'm, i highlighted client success role in this process so i want to see where the best product adoption when it comes to tech companies or when uh, in what area in what vertical we have the best case studies when it comes to selling professional services uh, and i try to like figure out the common feature between between these companies and based on this i'm mapping out the ideal customer profile next step i insist that we are going to interview so yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna interrupt you really quick because i want to before we get away from uh the icp what are the like give us some more details on what kinds of things are you looking at when you're building a building the icp uh, what, yeah, what so, types of factors are you looking at? How are you defining what makes that that tight group of the right Yeah, fit? so the first factor was, as I mentioned, the use case. Basically, the company had result by using that product or service. That's the number one factor. Next one is that I insist on in-depth customer interviews. Basically, we have a list of questions and we have five group of questions. Uh, the first group belongs to questions that are related to, let's say, research process. We're asking questions like, how did you search for product like this? You know, uh, what sources you were looking for? Uh, next one, next group of questions belong to, let's say, decision-making process. Like, what influenced your decision-making process? Did you compare us to any other vendors? Why you did you decide to choose our company or our product? Like, if you had a house meeting, who was involved? This is how we can identify the buying committee. And so next group of question, questions belongs to value. So ask what is the value you got from the product so far? Mm -hmm. You know, if you were recommending it to anybody, how you describe our product? And basically we are listening to our customers because then we can extract this knowledge and use it in our, let's say, marketing message. This is how we tailor our positioning and unique value proposition. So the in-depth interviews is the second point here and next and, one andre, yeah. andre let me ask a quick question yeah, um i like that you that you're really adamant about client interviews because i think that it's so important to get the voice of the customer and oftentimes as marketers and even on the sales side we may have a, a distorted view or a, not a full picture view of the customer's uh you know feedback um let me ask you a question what happens when you're working with a client and they're resistant or hesitant to want to give you access to their clients in terms of getting these types of uh, customer data? You know, we have a lot of um, B2B marketers listening out there. And this is often one of the challenges is getting your client to agree to do the interview. Tell us what some strategies or some tips that you have for that. That's a really interesting question, and I will share my approach. Basically, when I share the benefits of running in-depth 
customer interview because like we clearly understand why we are doing this and i'm describing it to clients the same way and they tell me okay you know we don't want to bother our clients or maybe they don't have time for these calls what's the value for our customer to share this information with us you know for me it's a warning sign that they don't have a really good relationship with clients for me it's like honestly it's a warning sign so then i just book a private call with the executive or let's say with team lead chief marketing officer or head of sales doesn't matter it depends on the organization so i share privately with him my observations i say look if you have these problems it means that you in future you'll definitely have a churn issue just believe me from my experience i share some practical examples that i don't want i, I mean i don't want to provide some <laughs> real-time examples of this, but you got the idea. So I share some private examples and say, look, this is what's, what is going to happen with your company. So the decision is like the first thing, are we going to like to replace this process and start building that relationship with clients? Or you want to, you know, you want to keep the things as they are at the moment. If they say, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. How? like what are the strategies, how we are going to book these calls, what I recommend to do, my personal opinion. Basically, I always ask CEO or let's say uh, somebody from executive side to record a personalized video where mm. we explain why we are doing this stuff. And basically th that said, I say like, let's pretend I'm a CEO. I will say, hey, Gabby, Thanks a lot for being my partner. Not just generic one. It's like personalized, you know, video for each of the clients. Let's say, thanks a lot for being a fantastic customer for the last five years. It means a lot to me. So basically we helped your company with this and that stuff. And now it's like time for us to change the way how we are going to build relationship with our clients. Uh, it, mean, it will mean a lot to me if you dedicate like or devote 30 minutes and we'll be able to chat with like, let's say John Doe from my client success team about these questions. We want to extract this value. It will help us to present our services, our product in a more meaningful way to our target vertical. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And then we are sharing this message because if the first person of the company shows his or her face and make an ask, then it becomes an irresistible ask for the prospects. Otherwise, you know, if you'll send, if you'll be sending just generic email, hey, would you like to have a 30 minutes call with me about this and that? Of course, like you never chatted with the clients. What's the deal? Like why they should devote time? Of course they won't do it. So this is the way how I suggest to proceed. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. I absolutely love that approach. I've actually never encountered anyone that has had a really strong answer to that question, maybe because I didn't ask the question before. Um, but in general, I love this approach. I love that you are going direct to the source and saying, look, this is why we need to do this and providing them really valuable case points as to why it's important. And I love the idea of getting the CEO involved or, or whoever the top executive leader might be um, to record a, a, a very special and personalized video to the client directly. And I'm sure that that helps a lot with adoption and getting the clients Absolutely. on board. Um, so I'm gonna say Maladets, for those that are Russian speaking and that are listening, that means awesome job, way to go. Cause that's a wonderful example, Andre. I do have a follow-up question though. What okay. happens if you have a client that 
after talking to the leader and saying, look, here's why we should do this. We really feel it's important to talk to your clients and there's still resistance and there's still pushback. What do you do then? I simply cancel the project. So I'm not going with that client. And I will, I will tell you why. Because I, my, at least the way how I uh, treat B2B marketing, I feel that it's not about, you know, creative, I don't know, creative motto, if you will, or some like sort of uh, like put in some creative ideas. This is how actually many B2B companies tend to think about value proposition, positioning and marketing message in general. I always want to hear from my customers what are their challenges and what are the values they're getting from the product. What is the, like... If they are going to share this product with anybody or recommend it, basically how they will describe this product, how they will describe this value. And this is what you should use in your copy. It doesn't matter if you're running ads, if you are sending cold emails, if you are writing inbound articles and you want to present your company, you need to use your customer language. And the second reason, if you don't understand the way how your customers will buy just believe me, you'll be wasting time and pouring money into a liquid bucket. You know, you'll mm -hmm. be paying for AdWords. Basically, just, you know, the other way you can just simply ask Google to uh, make an invoice for you and just pay this invoice without wasting time. You know, that would be even, <laughs> you don't need to spend that much time to understand that you are just sending money to Google without getting any results. And this will happen, this happens always, always. Yeah because you don't understand how customers are buying, how they are searching and what influences their decision-making process. So I am not, I am not, uh, I don't want to waste time on figuring it out with like, let's say guessworking and experimenting a lot. I prefer to have like a clear understanding of the way how customers uh, are buying and mm -hmm. let's say adapting marketing and sales processes to to their customer journey. Wonderful. Well, I'm sure Google would be very happy to send invoices to everybody, but let's get back to the case study. So okay. when, um, so this case study, like we said, is really about an, an ABM campaign that you executed. You said the first step is to identify the ICP or to find the, 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 the market that has been very valuable to your client. Um, and then, and then do the voice of customer surveys and the, the customer interviews. Tell us what's next in the process. Before you do, actually, for, for those who usually ask us in the beginning, we, for whatever reason, didn't this time, to give people a reason, hopefully keep listening to the end of the episode. What was the, like, let's go to the outcome. What what, what did it generate? How many, you know, uh, revenue, uh, SQLs, whatever, whatever metric that you want to measure it on? Yeah, of course. So basically the case study we are going to chat about. So this campaign... Uh, generated 300k in revenue and basically just to give you a, a more precise data about that campaign so we had 30 accounts in our account list and we had 37 reply rate for, for that campaign so basically 12 from 30 accounts replied and we were able to close six deals and the average deal size for that moment, because that's like, they're usually selling pilot projects and the pilot project value is 50K and then they are selling. So I don't know the exact data and the exact number of revenue, but let's say as for the pilot projects, we were able to sell six pilot projects. So in total, it means it equals 300,000 in revenue. So that's, let's say, prerequisites of that campaign. 
so coming back to your question about the steps. So we have ICP and that uh, the next step is what I mentioned. So after this in-depth customer interviews, we need to analyze these interviews and basically next creating our market message to this specific vertical and to the buying committee members. Because the truth is that you can't reach out, let's say your internal champion and CEO the same way with the same message. But most companies are doing it. You know, they're sending generic messages to all of them. Another mistake, lots of them are ignoring the buying committee. They want to reach out to the decision makers. But again, let's be honest. I spent eight years in corporations, worked for eight years for corporations. And if you are selling high ticket product or service, I mean, if it's not like, you know, $5 CRM product, which is like no brainer. But if we are talking about five, six figure contracts, the in-house meeting is inevitable. And the truth is that the chances that you'll be able to close that deal successfully are much higher if the buying committee members are aware about you, your company, and your product. Because people buy from people they know, like, and trust. That's the key. <laughs> that should be the key mantra of B2B marketing in general. So that's why we need to adapt our message to the buying committee roles. And next step is prospecting and account selection. So I mentioned the ICP. One more thing that we need to add to this process is disqualification criteria. So let's, uh, let me share a practical example. So in this particular case, for that campaign, disqualification criteria. So keep in mind, client is software development company. And you know, software development companies, 99% of these companies are operating in one size fits all mode, which means they're reaching out and saying, hey, Gabby, do you need any web application or mobile app or website or whatever? We can do whatever you want. Just tell me, just share me your needs. And your question is, okay, guys, I'm getting like thousands of these emails and LinkedIn messages every day. What makes you different? Why should I bother? What should, why should I reply? That's the, that's the huge problem. So in this case, that's why it was extremely critical to narrow down the position into one particular industry. So the next step was adding this disqualification criteria. And basically what I was doing at that point, I was analyzing CRM. I was listening to the sales calls, to the email threads, and I was analyzing the deals that were lost. And I was trying to figure out the common patterns, the common features between these accounts. And in most cases, what I have identified, basically, there were two reasons, uh, like two, let's say, two very clear disqualification criteria. One of them was if anybody from the buying originated from, let's say, ex-Soviet Union countries. And the reason why, the only reason why, because they usually they have a network in these countries and they can find a cheaper vendor. They can find yes. somebody to do it for $15 an hour with a, whatever, 25% markup and off you go. You, yeah. you got them. Basically. And they're, they're, and they're very hard to, they have a very good poker face, I will say also, right, Andre? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm poking fun at Mike, who's who's originally from the former Soviet Union. So. <laughs> and I do have a network over there. So if I needed some development, that's exactly what I would do. Yes. Yeah. And you never know if they're KGB also. That's also a very good thing to keep in mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, that's the funny fact. So basically, they 
tending to think I, I, you know, I always kidding when I'm running some, uh, some webinars or workshops for this vertical, I'm always uh, sharing because they have this mindset. They want to set up an LLC in United States and they tend to think about this market as let's say, uh, I call it like California golden rush, you know, they're coming to United States. Okay, guys. So like we have developers for $15 in our country and now we are going to sell it for $100 here in the United States. And they think if they came, everybody will buy now because that's, that's the key. I need to be presented on this market. But the truth is I'm living on Adriatic seaside in crash and I have lots of clients from United States, but I have never been ever to United States. So that's, that's the truth about the remote work. But coming back to that stuff. So that was the first disqualification criteria. The second one is if these companies, I have noticed, if they had an open position, if they were actively hiring people, like I don't want just to go dive deeply into this specific technology stack, but if they were hiring people with this, let's say specific like uh, frameworks and technologies background, then we needed to disqualify these people because it means that the major part of the project will be done in-house. They are not going to outsource it. So this is really important to analyze. And now you can see, you know, basically on the surface, client, a potential company, uh, company looks like a potential client. But when you'll deep, when you'll dive deep, you'll see, okay, this is a disqualification criteria. This is a disqualification criteria. And you simply don't waste time on this. So that's that's the next step. And once we build this account list, then we can start work on the warming up programs and the activation place. So Andre, I want to ask a quick question because what, what I'm hearing is really what you're saying is to set up, to appropriately set up an ABM campaign, it really is a manual effort. It yeah. requires a person, a real person who's doing the work, who's identifying the, the key Talk criteria. To Talk to real people, right? Identifying the key criteria, et cetera. A lot of, I mean, and you touched on this a little bit, a lot of people today on LinkedIn and just out there in the world are just what I call the spray and pray, right? They, yeah. they, they put the information into a bot or into some sort of, you know, automation tool and just sort of put it out there and, and get it out there. But what I like what you're saying is, no, you know, you really need to take a human approach. So can you talk to us a little bit about what are the, the actual tools that you're using to set yourself up for this campaign? I'm, I'm assuming it's probably a combination of spreadsheets and documents, but do you have a, a certain uh, tool stack that you use for this or that you would recommend? I will be honest with you. At one point, I was considering like uh, any kind of marketing software to like to launch and at least orchestrate these campaigns. I reached out to all the well-known ABM vendors. When I have heard about the price, I was like, oh my gosh, fortunately I don't have hair. Otherwise <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what's going on? So the biggest problem here, you know, is that MarTech vendors, let's say the biggest content players, all let's say major part of ABM content is produced by them. And the key goal of that content is not to educate the market, but basically to sell the software. And that's why lots of B2B marketers are thinking that, okay, to launch an ABM program, 
I need to run this programmatic ads, buying this fancy software, etc. And they simply forget about this, let's say, human processes that you need to do a account research. You need to do, let's say, the groundwork. You need to do all the things that we shared previously. And next, when it comes to activation playbooks or warming up programs, I have done, like, I will be honest with you. I launched programmatic ads just once. When I saw the poor results from these ads, I, I, I did it just out of curiosity. And when I saw how awful were the results, I thought, okay, I don't want to waste time and money on this stuff because I can launch LinkedIn demand generation campaign. I can involve clients into market research. I can, you know, I can add some sort of, let's say, private events or workshops dedicated to these clients. I can host like panel discussion. I can hire a thought leader, you know, if I have some budget, I can hire a well-known thought leader that serves this vertical and invite, invite key executives. And that's a fantastic opportunity. You have lots of, let's say, inbound opportunities to do this stuff. And th this is how I prefer to do the warming up programs. Next, we have activation playbooks, depending on the account engagement. And again, uh, by default, you know, they, they used to say, I mean, Martek vendors used to say, okay, once they click your ad, then you need to uh, transfer that lead to sales team and they're reaching, or if they downloaded any gated content, then you need to send it to sales and they need to reach out. But the question is like, <laughs> why are you thinking that person who is downloading the ebook or subscribing to the webinar, if it's not like product oriented webinar, what makes you think they're interesting or ready to buy? So that's the key question here. So in my case, I prefer to check the real account engagement. It means I track the IP data, like if they have visited my service page, if they read my key case studies. Next step, I prefer to control the sales process. So I create dedicated content hubs. I put something that is highly relevant to these people, you know, if. Again, if you want, I can share you the example of this content hub. So I create the content that is highly relevant to this person. And then I say, this is how, like, for example, I might, I will give you a more precise example. So I might say, okay, Gabby, you know, you're launching this podcast and basically you have like a great speaker lineup and I have some ideas I want to share with you how basically to grow this podcast or whatever, how to monetize this podcast or how to bring people like, let's say, I don't know, like Seth Godin to your podcast, just, just a quick idea. And then I created to you, I share this content hub and I can ask like, does it make sense? Would you like to check it out? You know, in most cases, this is like step in, make a first step and open the doors. And then I can see if you consume that content, I can reach out and say like, hey, do you have any questions regarding this process? Would you like to have a quick chat? I can describe, you know, how you can implement it for your B2B marketing podcast. That's just a, like a first idea, but basically you got the idea. So content hubs help you to control the content consumption. And you can see if this content hub was shared internally, if they shared it with executives team, with sales team, and you can add more, let's say, marketing content, marketing assets that is dedicated to this different roles and that's, yeah, I'd yeah. Like that's to exactly what we do because we use i mean we use a tool called sales reach and it's pretty much you know 
it pretty much is like a dedicated content hub to the specific person we're speaking to. Yeah. Right. It's here's the relevant case studies, here's the relevant testimonials, here's relevant content we've developed, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And then we can track, like you said, did they share it? Who when did they look at it? That kind of stuff. And that allows us to sort of understand are they interested, are they not? And kind of all that. Andre, are you using a specific tool for this content hub or is it just a landing page? What what how do you do it? How do you create it? So uh, for many years, I was an active user of DocSend, and uh, right now I switched to Paperflight. Very nice product with like, okay. like with a better, let's say, feature set, and uh, like way better UX UE. So I highly recommend to check this product. And okay. one more idea, you know, regarding this, let's say, warming up programs, and uh, coming back to the case study we are discussing. So this 300k case study. So for this particular company. I skipped the warm-up program, which was bad because I always insist on doing this. But in this case, we were very straightforward. They asked me, you know, to bring new revenue as fast as possible. So I worked heavily like on this, let's say, strategical part. So I had pretty good insights on what kind of accounts we should add to this program. And next, I was analyzing the AP data and I was selecting, that's why I mentioned there were only 30 accounts for that pilot program. And I was selecting the companies that were already visiting the website. So they checked the product, uh, sorry, service pages because it was it was about the services. The service pages, they checked some case studies, etc. So in this case, I knew that at least they were aware about the company and they might have a potential need. Otherwise, they will never visit a, like a website of a software development company that has a broad positioning. So that's that was the key here. And next I was sitting down and I created like personalized. So we did an in-depth account research. So we were analyzing the press releases, the executive interviews, the posts they were sharing on social media, etc. Something that's where we could collect the information about their potential needs. We were analyzing their tech stack as well. And based on this, we created proposals that were dedicated to four target job roles. We had CTO, as usually this is like a decision maker in these enterprise companies. CEO as well, because this person approves the budget. Next, we were, we were reaching out to product managers because they are influencers. They are people who don't have, let's say, a decision power, but they will be collaborating with the software development company. As And as I mentioned, it's better, you know, to make these people aware about you and share how you can help them because these people, by default, they expect, okay, a new vendor is coming in, so my company is going to outsource some processes, so maybe I can lose, you know, I can lose my job, so they can treat it as a danger, so like that's why you need to share that you're actually not going to replace them, but basically helping them to accelerate the product, uh, let's say development. And finally, that was like a job role. I had a huge resistance from the executive team. I wanted to reach out to HRs. And the reason why, because you know, in most organizations, HR is the most, let's say, undervalued position. So. <laughs> I mean, in in this in this specific Maybe area, procurement is a little bit above. Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> so in this case, I was thinking, you know, how how it works in IT or in tech companies. Like, if IT team, let's say, company got an investment, and now they have money to work on new, you know, product features, etc., and they need to ramp up their team. 
they need to find some talents. So they say, okay, like I need to find a new developer just in two weeks. Here is the skill set. Here is the background. Now it's your job, you know, and they're always on fire. And I played with this. So I was like describing this situation and I, that's why I told you about the account analysis. So I was uh, searching for this, let's say, signals. And if it was true, I was saying this is like, I know you're on fire. I was personalizing and playing by this. And basically, this is what we can do. You don't need to do the interviews. Basically, will you just provide us the skill set and the background and the tech stack you need. And basically, we'll provide you a list of vetted developers with this skill set. And now you just do the final round. You know, they passed all the, let's say, tests or whatever. They can jump uh, and uh, jump into a project and ramp up your team literally tomorrow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Andre, you mentioned something. I want to I wanna go back to it. You said that, you know, during, and I apologize if I'm saying this incorrectly, but the the ramp, is it the ramp up phase or the research phase where you're really digging into the research research Research. phase okay so you're digging into the to the client um to each account that is and you're looking at press study press releases videos probably listening to podcasts looking at linkedin you're collecting a lot of data two questions for you what is the typical uh timeline for running an abm campaign and what is can you also elaborate on how much time do you dedicate per each account in terms of the research? And also, how many people does it take to run an ABM campaign? And I, I assume it probably will expand or contract depending on the number of accounts that you're targeting. But we want to have some ideas on like timeline and bandwidth around this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, to give you an idea, first of all, the campaign can be launched by two people, one marketer and one salesperson. That's the minimal, let's say, the minimum, uh, the minimal team probably for launching ABM campaigns. The minimum uh, requirement is one yeah. marketer, one salesperson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so marketer is in charge of all these processes like uh, account selection, like account list building, like research, etc and warm-up programs, while sales is in charge of activation, so the latest parts of this campaign. Uh, That said, let's say for that case study, I was operating, so I was like, uh, in in this particular case, I was CMO slash marketer because I was doing all this stuff for the client. And in my particular case, it took me, I know it sounds maybe too long, but it took me three, three months to work on the strategical part of all of these in-depth interviews, preparations, etc. And then it took two months to orchestrate and launch the ABM campaign to get this result. So in total, it took me five months. That said, to give you a very good example that uh, I had last year with a Czech company called Travelgy. So in this case, they had like a pretty... Uh, good understanding of ABM and lots of processes were going on in that company. They had a team of five people in their marketing team and they had like a very good sales team. So in this case, in two months, we were able to launch three different ABM campaigns and we choose, we selected just 12 accounts and they were able to close seven of 12. Wow. And Andre, so this is very good information that you're giving us because I think 
a lot of the misconception around ABM, um, especially to obviously if somebody's never run an ABM campaign, then they then they don't have an idea about it. But I think there is a misconception that it that you need a lot of personnel, you need a lot of tools, yeah. and that you can do it right away. And actually, what you're telling us is you don't need a lot of people, but you but the more the better, obviously. You don't need a lot of tools, but you do need a lot of research and a lot of personal dedication, you know, a human dedicating the time and the effort and the analysis to gathering this information. And then depending on the number of accounts, it could be some, you know, could could be two to three months to get it up and running, or it could be as long as five to six months to execute it. One other follow-up question, is there a ideal number of accounts that you should have when running an ABM campaign? Or is there like an average that you think is yeah. very, very good? So my suggestion is for the pilot campaign, uh, not to add more than 30 accounts for the pilot campaign. So that's my rule of thumb. It depends on the industry because as I mentioned, for example, for Evolgy, it was like we launched it on a small, in a small region. So it was Estonia, Lithuania and Latvia. So the Northern part of Europe, these are small, countries but tech uh, they're like tech oriented and advanced uh, so in this case the scope is smaller let's say if you are going to launch it in the united states and canada of course you have like let's say a bigger market and you can add more accounts with let's say with this appropriate account research but again for the pilot campaign it makes no sense to add more than 30 accounts the reason why because the the, the only key reason for this because you will never able to run, uh, to run, let's say, a perfect campaign just from the from the beginning, from the scratch. So mm -hmm. you need to think about this campaign as an opportunity to learn more about your target accounts. Because at one point you'll be reaching out, you'll never have one hundred percent positive reply mm -hmm. rate, positive reply rate. But you'll have calls with this prospects let's say and now let's say they will say hey andre we are not interested in this or maybe this is not right point and this is the key part in let's say when it comes to the final stages of the abm campaigns your key goal here is to say okay gabby i completely understand that maybe it's not a right moment or whatever so switching from sales perspective to human perspective can you please share with me what are the reasons because i did like in-depth account research i analyzed all these interviews and basically i saw the fit I, I noticed that there is definitely a match between my service and your need so can you please just give me more context so i won't be targeting the companies like yours in future this is critical just believe me major part of the companies never doing this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they so say okay yeah, I will not. I will never bother you. Thanks a lot. Sorry for this. Right, right. I, I I like that point, but I have to say that sometimes, at least maybe on the personally speaking, is that when a, a salesperson reaches out to me and I tell them very politely, "Hey, you know what? I'm sorry, I'm not interested," and then they come back and say, "Can you tell me why you're not interested?" I generally don't take the time to give them that feedback, and maybe that's shame on me. Maybe that's that's a bad example <laughs> that I'm no. setting in the marketplace, but I'd love to know 
what is the success rate when you do ask for this feedback? How many times do you get the feedback? And, and is there a difference between somebody running an ABM campaign and then asking for the feedback versus somebody that's just, like I said, pray and spray, setting things out there and hoping something sticks? Is there a difference in the response that you get from the client? I will tell you why it's happening with you, because in most cases, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, in most cases, people are just sending you cold emails or LinkedIn messages, and they are coming back to you and say like, hey, can you please tell me why you are not interested? In my, like in the way how I'm arranging these ABM campaigns, if you want, I can quickly share with you, maybe in this case, it, it will make sense to share a screen. So just okay. to give you a precise example of my company's campaigns. That would be great. If you can share the screen, we'd love to do that. And then if, if we have any technical difficulties, perhaps you can send it to us in an email yeah. and we can include it in the show notes. Yeah. So look how my proposals look like. So just to give you an, an idea. So you so you're are sending, you're sending, physical, you're, sending a physical, you're sending physical mail. You're not talking about sending. Yeah. And you can see a link and QR code that uh, leads you to the content hub where you can learn more. And now I, I do have a, I, I think this is phenomenal. And I love the, the tactile feel of this campaign, because I think that oftentimes we lose the, the, that feeling of having something physical, you know, being in a, in a very virtual digital online world. So I really love that you, you did this, but in this world of COVID, how did how did you manage to get addresses and get this in the hands of the right people? I'm <laughs> sure that there was some problems because of COVID, right? Uh, I will give you an idea. So basically, yes, that's true. So indeed, we are sending physical parcels that include printed proposals. And inside, you probably have noticed there is a link that leads to the content hub as well, where we create a content hub highly personalized to this company. And in this content hub, we add some bottom of the funnel content, like what's the difference of working with fullfunnel.io versus marketing agency? What are the benefits, let's say, executive team, marketing team, and sales team will get by working with us? Case studies, et cetera, you got the idea. Mm -hmm. So the next one, this is like highly personalized. As you have seen, it's like what, let's say, cycling and growing B2B tech company have in common and then i'm just because i know let's say in this case uh our target prospect is a huge fan of cycling i saw on facebook that before covid this person went to the mountains in belgium and france and i was even putting the names of the hills this person took pictures you know that was like 100 personalized and as a small gift i bought a book called like such a best cycling destinations in Europe. And that's that's the idea how you're going. It's it's not about, you know, very expensive products, uh, sort of gifts, but it's go, it's about making it 100% it personalized. Now, coming back to a second question. How I, I, think, I, I think this is another moment where I have to say maladietz because I love <laughs> this example. And I, I'm a big fan of gifting. Gifting is, is a big part of my, my personal language. Um, Mike knows that, and it's also a big part of my language professionally. I think it's very meaningful to, um, to when you can, to provide a very personalized experience for a client or a prospect. So I absolutely love this idea, Andre, and I know that our listeners out there, those that can see the video, 
are going to get a ton of um, great examples from this. And then do send us a link if you have a, uh, to the video so we can see some of these um, examples that you showed us, the physical examples of the book and the box. Yeah, One I, can send it, so I can send it to you privately, like on Slack or whatever. So it's not published everywhere. This okay. Is yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can, would it be okay if we put it in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, wonderful. And then I, I do have one more question for you. And then well, I think before we, we go, I think the, the main question I want to know is how do you, how do you find people's addresses right now? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's a good question. So several ways. I mentioned that we have like warm up programs, and when it comes to warm up programs, I love to invite people to join. Let's say my podcast. If you'll open fullfunnel.io/slash podcast, you'll see that we have. Some series where I invite people like you who are well-known B2B marketers. I know that executives are listening to us as well. A natural way of, let's say, generating awareness, something that we spoke in the beginning about. Next month, we have CEO series and we are inviting executives of our target accounts. And this is like, we say, okay, you were a fantastic guest. Uh, of course, you know, just a way of natural interest our guests are asking, like, guys, you are doing fantastic stuff. Usually before they join in the show, they're checking out our website, our content. We try to keep it, like, very practical. And I believe, at least, that the quality of the content is really high. So they see it. They see the value. And they say, okay, guys, you are doing fantastic stuff. Can you please provide more idea on what you are doing? And basically, then we discuss, you know, some day initiatives, etc. And we say, like, I would like I would love to share with you, you know, I would love to send a small gift to you. The mm -hmm. same like we are doing market researches. We say, like, if we involve people, we involve people from Revenue Genius, for example. We said, like, I don't say that month in, in case of podcast, of course, people say, yeah, of course, here is my address. Please send it to me or whatever. Uh, in case of market research, not everybody is going to give it to you. They say, okay, right. like I don't need it. I just wanted to contribute and, and that's it. But let's say like how we present it, we say, I want to like, I want to send this like gift for as a, let's say a thank you for contributing to this market research. People are sharing it and that's totally fine. The same if we are hosting like private events, panel discussions, we're inviting these people and we deliver value upfront. In my case, yeah, it's more easier because I have the audience and it's more easier to, you know, to gather the people and have and host in a really good virtual event. But mm -hmm. in case of other company, you know what I mentioned? If I was, let's say, a CMO of tech company, what I'd be doing, I'd be, let's say, I know that you are hosting a fantastic podcast. I'd ask you guys, like, may I hire you, you know, for, let's say, to, to run a dedicated, like, private event for my target audience, more or less like this. Uh, and I'd rather pay you, and it would be, I will have, just believe me, I will have much higher ROI from that campaign just then just putting you know this money into Edward's machine and waiting passively for it that should be coming but not actually coming. <laughs> well now I now I know why your company is called full funnel because you really are touching every part of the funnel up yes. and down left and right and I love that um that you're you're leveraging two very hot topics right now, podcasting, especially in the B2B space and ABM campaigns. So 
Andre, you have showed us the proof and you've gotten to the point, you've shared so many really valuable um, and interesting and unique ideas on how our listeners today can execute an ABM campaign not without having to spend tons of money on tools, um, without necessarily having to have a very large uh, sales or marketing department, and with really focusing on the two very important things that we always talk about in business is bringing the human side and appealing to their interests, appealing to their likes through this idea of gifting um, and adding value, valuable content, adding them on the podcast. Wow. I learned a ton. We've loved having you on the show. Before we go, we want to talk and do a quick lightning round. So Mike, do you sure. want to, um, I have a bonus question for the lightning round, but Mike, do you want to take us through the lightning round? We'll go through and then you can ask the bonus question at the end. Okay. All right. All right, let's let's run through these. So, uh, first thing comes to mind: What's the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Sales qualified opportunities. What's a new marketing strategy or tactic that you're looking forward to testing this year? Uh, I'm going to double down on lead nurturing. What's a tool or platform that you use in your work that you couldn't live without? Active campaign. Uh, what is your least favorite business word or phrase? Gross and scalability. <laughs> so. uh, th those are your least favorite? Yeah, and the reason why I will tell you, because they're always intertwined with gross and scalability obsession. Okay. They're always used in that context. Makes sense. What is your favorite podcast? Uh, my favorite podcast is The State of Demand right now, which is uh, Chris Walker is running. Oh, okay. Yes, very we... practical, very good. Very yeah. good. Yes, that is a good one. What is your favorite business or marketing book? 8 20 in sales and marketing by Perry Marshall. Very nice. And what? Uh, who's a B2B marketing expert that you admire on LinkedIn? Yeah, Chris Walker. And the reason why I mentioned him <laughs> again for the second time, I'm mentioning him. And the reason why, because he's very straightforward. He is actually practicing what he is preaching. And, you know, lots of people, just to be honest, lots of people are talking about high level stuff, but never executing this. Chris is exactly doing what his company, Refine Labs, is promising on their website. And I love it. Well, if you know Chris, tell him to join us on the podcast. Yeah, he was on my podcast and he was on my summit last year. So I will definitely can make an intro on LinkedIn if you want. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, a couple of bonus questions. So, Andre, you mentioned before we started recording that your family is part Polish. You yeah. were born in the Ukraine. Um, you live in Croatia. You speak, I'm assuming you speak Polish. Yes. Ukrainian, a little bit of Russian, Croatian. Um, what is your favorite Soviet era cartoon? <laughs> uh, that's a good question, but basically... I, I bet you never got asked that question on a podcast before, have you? Never. never. <laughs> Just, that's that would be a funny answer. I don't know if you have heard about this cartoon called Carlson. This is actually, uh, this comes from Sweden, but it was very popular in my childhood. And yeah, 
this this is my favorite. I, I had the, my parents had the um, the vinyls. I listened to the audio stories and whatnot. There's books and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that one. Um, I am not from the okay. area, but uh, but I think but I've been introduced. I'll tell you all to, about it. I've been introduced to a lot of Soviet era cartoons, and I think my favorite is um, Chiburashka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, and you are currently living in the beautiful country of Croatia. Yeah. Which a lot of people know nowadays for, um, you know, the beautiful panoramic views in what's the show HBO? Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is your favorite to place to vacation? This one where I live, Split. <laughs> Basically, okay. this is where the Game of Thrones uh, was recorded. So. So it's very beautiful. Yep. I well, invite you come here when you'll have a, an opportunity. We would love to. Absolutely. Hopefully very soon we can travel again safely to, to Europe. And hopefully you'll have the opportunity to come to United States. You mentioned you've never been here before. Yes, that's on my to-do list. All right. Well, reach out to us when you plan to come to the U.S. We'll give you some, some ideas. Um, Andre, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. I'm going to try to say Havaladam. Is that correct in Croatian? Hvala. Hvaladam, right? To say thank you. Ah, okay. Hvala. Hvala vama. Uh, okay. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm learning. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you anyway. Spasiba. Thank you for, for being on the show. You've been a wonderful guest. You've shared so many valuable takeaways. I know that our listeners today are going to be um, really excited to start executing their own ABM campaign. Um, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you? LinkedIn. Basically, I'm quite active there, so they can type Andrei Zinkevich. There are not so many guys. At least there are not so many bald guys with that surname. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Andre. This podcast is brought to you by Proofpoint Marketing. We believe marketing means nothing if it doesn't help you achieve stronger business outcomes. And here at Proofpoint, we like to say that the proof is in the pudding. If you're in need of some sweet, sweet digital marketing pudding, then it's time to partner with a high-performing team of revenue marketers who don't just tout tactics, but prove them. Until next time, we look forward to having you and our future guests on Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the Proofpoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.